Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. I'm Nathan Bear, and uh, with us, as always, Mr. Michael Kelly. Hi there, Nate. Uh, 1989's Godzilla vs. Biollante is the series of disconnected, joyless, passionless, energyless scenes, really, uh, which was released uh, in December of 1989. It was the really the second film in the High Size series, but actually, the Emperor High Size didn't really take uh his his position until january of 1989 so actually technically it should be the first film in the series with the return of godzilla being still included in the showa era and in japan this is known as the versus series it starts with godzilla 1984 uh, and all the way through destroya in 1995 right but uh yeah but for some reason we uh americans like to uh, make things much more complicated than they should be. Yes. So uh, we have dubbed this the second of the High Sai series, even though Emperor High Sai was not in power until a full, what, five years after <laughs> Godzilla 1984? You expect nothing less from the country that came up with the food, the chicken fried steak. This film was directed by <clears throat> Kazuki Amuri, not to be uh, confused with Godzuki. His, this guy's name is uh, Kazuki, and the music was by uh, Koichi Sagaguya. Siaguya. He made a lot of uh, Dragon Quest video games. He composed the score for. He's mainly a composer for video games, so he had a score for this. You really like the score. I do. All right, now's your chance. Defend it. I just love uh, the use of strings. Uh, it really, like, the scenes, especially with Super X uh, versus Godzilla, it just, it, it feels almost like a John Williams' score for the Attack of the Death Star. The only difference is, is that John Williams' score uh, was used really, really well, as opposed to this, which it was used... Very mediocrely. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it just sounds like a cross between the score from Supergirl and Spaceballs. Mm. It's it, it's <laughs> it's so uplifting and like I hate to say generic, but like generic in in, in a way that the 1985 score was uh, good. Generic, like if it sort of sounded like Raiders of the Lost Ark, this sounds like um, other movies that aren't as good. But even though if – hey, that's fine. If they're not as good, no problem. Uh, the the key is does – you know, the, the question you should be asking yourself is does it work with the story of a mutant lizard fighting a mutant plant with an overall sort of tragic kind of uh, monster film? Does does, does those, Do those concepts mesh with the idea of this – jovial, adventurous, you know, swashbuckling uh, music? And the answer is no. no. The answer no, is it no. Does not work. <laughs> it there, doesn't work. There are brief moments where it does, and I think that's just coincidence. Yeah. I, I think it's just, you know, the piece just had that right moment. But this is really a score for, like, a remake of an Errol Flynn right. pirate film. Yes. Like, it would work this perfectly. Like Robin Hood yeah, it would or work something. perfectly for that. Like, if they remade but, Captain uh, Blood. Yeah, and with... I, you know, I think you just hit upon something. It sounds, like, outdated. Mm. Um, it, and, and, 
you know, in the wrong way. <laughs> Whereas the John Williams scores for Star Wars were sort of bringing back something, but making it new and like kind of reinventing it. This is just almost dusting off those musical tropes from like the 30s and 40s mm. and just not updating them at all. Yeah. And that can work, you know, if you've got a movie like The Rocketeer or something that takes place in the 30s and the 40s. But like, it's just, it's a, it's a complete misunderstanding of of the content and also i think you might have a situation here where it's death by score i think it's layered on like gravy because of the fact that what's being shot is so mediocre it's not um it's just not to the standards of the previous godzilla films you know special effects aside the special effects are great um, do they make sense? No, but um, and, and I mean sense in the terms of go, does Godzilla make sense? So we we acknowledge that this is science fiction, but when it takes the believability factor too far out of bounds, it just becomes whack, right? You know, so it's like yeah, Godzilla looks badass. Yeah, the miniatures look superb, like some of the best miniature work I have seen in a film. Up to now. Um, I'll just, you know, the the creature Biollante, the monster Biollante. Really, really impressive looking, really cool. Wish he would have been in more movies, or she, I guess, would be more appropriately to say, since it is a combination of Rose's DNA, Godzilla's DNA, and uh, Erica's DNA. Yeah, or her psychic energy. Her psychic energy. power. Her psychic energy's <laughs> DNA, still with us. Uh, <clears throat> but, like, making Biollante move ludicrously complicated uh, involving you know probably over two or three hundred wires like three times as difficult as making king Ghidorah fly with all of his heads i mean i've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff and very 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 complicated they were they took so many people to do this that they actually had to bring in people from off the street to have them hold on to more of the wires because there was just there's so you know you had, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 vines. Each one of them had so many cables. So, like, yes, very state-of-the-art and stuff that, you know, maybe hasn't been done since in a Godzilla movie. But you have to look at that end result and, like, does it work? Yeah. I don't think it works. I don't think – I, I think only the special effects scenes work. It's, um, it's kind of like uh, – I mean, Destroy All Monsters is a better – film in many many ways but in some cases it feels like only the monster scenes are the ones that have true emotional impact and that's the same case here and the best godzilla movies if we cannot pound this into your ears enough are when the human element is just as enticing as the monsters right Uh, that's what makes it good the juxtaposition when your heroes are in just as much uh, legitimate danger as the monsters. Well, I think one of the problems is there's far too many characters yeah. <laughs> in this movie. In the first 34 minutes, they introduce upwards between 15 and 20 main characters. I mean, this this film makes The Hobbit An Unexpected Journey look like Waiting for Godot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like ridiculous. Like, who are these people? You know, like, what what is going on? This, this is like sixty people to keep track of. You know, and each one of them is for, from some different organization for some different means to an end. 
And it's just, it's insanity. It feels like you're catching up on two or three seasons worth of television. Crammed together. Crammed together. It just... It's, I, I refer to it as exposition purgatory or exposition hell. <laughs> Where it's just like, you don't actually get characters interacting with one another for like almost an hour into this movie. It's crazy. I mean, the, the original concept, or the original idea behind Biolanti seems enticing. Um... But unfortunately, Mr. Tanaka seems to take good ideas and sometimes throw them completely out the window, as we saw with Megalon, Hidora, and Gigan. But uh, so let's just uh, retrace. The script was written by a dentist, okay, by a dentist <laughs> uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, but he is a dentist uh, slash science fiction writer. Yeah. So uh, at least he had some credibility, uh, and and this was a contest that he won. Uh, and there are many interesting elements to it. The problem is, is as Mike mentioned, uh, there are just too many people. Uh, and I think what Mr. Tanaka should have done is, as a good producer, uh, as a conservative person, of scaled back, you know, and tried to make something a little simpler. Right. You know, yeah, take in something new. I mean, move it into this darker direction with a plant monster, which we haven't really had except for those, like, vampire plants in uh, right. Mothra. <laughs> Let me be clear. It's, I don't want to sound like, oh, well, there's so many characters, so that's what makes it bad. You can have a ton of characters in something and have it be amazing. An example of this would be, like, The Wire or something like that. But it's just... When you have this many characters and they're all just talking about ridiculous things in in a sort of muted, kind of monotone fashion, you know, you might as well just go to a bus stop and watch people sit and wait for a bus. Yeah. And this is both the Japanese and American version. There really weren't too many cuts in the American version. Um, And in fact, the only thing I can think of that was actually cut from the... uh, from the Japanese version itself, were a few stop-motion animation scenes of Godzilla fighting Biolanti, which really didn't look too good, and I can, like, see why they cut them out. Oh, the cartoon? Yeah. And? Yeah. Now, that's one of the more interesting parts of the movie, and it's not even in the movie. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> the original end is after Biolante. I guess he doesn't really defeat Godzilla. I mean, basically the military, or I'm sorry, the defense forces plan works and mm. kicks in. And so Godzilla sort of falls over, you know, dead or whatever. And Biollante is just sort of there. And in the, you know, the finished film now, Biollante basically just sort of explodes or dematerializes yeah. into fairy dust and goes into yeah. the clouds a la the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> and we see the uh, Erica's face yeah. superimposed over it and all is, uh, yeah. you know, heavenly and wondrous. Yeah, that's uh, actress Yasuko Sawa. Gucci, uh, playing a different character from the character she played in Godzilla 1985. Uh, if you'll remember, she played Hiroshi's sister, uh, Nieko, in Godzilla 1985. And that's sort of the classic Toho thing of like, you know, one movie later, same actress, totally different character. Yeah. That I almost sort of appreciated because mm. it sort of reminded me of the <laughs> almost antagonistic casting of, of the earlier films. 
Uh, is this the same character? Is we don't know, maybe. <laughs> the first time I saw Godzilla vs. Biolante, I was just like, oh, because it is a direct sequel to 1985, I assumed it was the same character. So when she gets blown up at the beginning, I was incredibly pissed. <laughs> uh, but then afterwards, I found out it was this Erica person who is, serves as sort of the sole DNA template of, of Biolante. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the point is, is like, you know... This film is sort of the answer to everything I say that is wrong with the rest of the High Size series, which is the, the rest of the films in the series, I say that it's just monsters uh, that Toho is trotting out from the past. You know, you've got King Ghidorah, you've got Mothra or whatever. And I always say, well, why don't you try a different monster? Well, Biollante is about as different as you can possibly get. Yes. And, you know, also musically, it's like, why don't you try something different? And guess what? This musical score... Totally different, all new material, you know. So definitely, they were they were trying, and and it, they weren't resting on their laurels at this point. They were still going out in different directions and trying to make something original and a kind of exciting new, uh, you know, continuation or extension of the series. And all that is commendable. Yeah, and I think that was the you know I think those were the right choices, and I do think Biolante is an awesome monster. Um. But it's just, it's just, it's just, Didn't it's, use it just it well. doesn't work. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't know. I can't, it's very hard to put your finger on why. I, mean, I, I watch this movie a lot, because um, I, I still have my VHS of it, uh, the HBO VHS, um, widescreen, dubbed, um, pretty decent quality. Um, it's just, you know, the more I watch it, the more it feels like, uh, you know, there, there's just things that don't make any sense. Uh, for example, we uh, have Super X2 now defending uh, <laughs> humanity. Now, let us go back to <laughs> Super X1. Super X1 had special shells. What were cadmium? Cadmium. Cadmium shells, which proved very lethal. In incredibly to, effective. Yeah, against Godzilla, who was only revived due to the coincidence of having two nuclear bombs <laughs> explode in the upper atmosphere above Shinjuku, which caused a lightning storm that brought him back to life. Other than that, had they had had more cadmium shells, they could have killed him. Now, in Godzilla vs. Biolante, when Godzilla not only survives the volcano, but comes out due to a terrorist explosion, whatever. Not important. Yeah. Uh... They send in Super X2. What does Super X2 have? Super X2 has a mirror. Now, if Godzilla was shooting a laser beam out of its mouth, if Godzilla was a Star Destroyer, the mirror would be incredibly useful. Unfortunately, Godzilla is using radioactive breath. So for this movie, his breath is turned into a laser for the sole fact of it working by beaming it back, being sucked, I guess, sucked up by this mirror, and then shot back at, quote, a thousand times more powerful. Ten thousand times. Ten thousand times. <laughs> Even better. So, yeah. So, um, what? Is that, <laughs> it just, it, it, it's great to watch until you think about it. Until you think about the fact that they are using a mirror to reflect breath. breath. I it, it's just I yeah yeah, yeah. it's it it's boggles like, the yeah. mind like well you know even that I'm okay with that and but the fact that they still are sending out like 
attack ships and battleships to fight Godzilla at this point. It's like, those men are all going to their death. <laughs> like, there's so many times in this movie where it's like, it's just people patiently waiting and, like, watching these military strikes. And it's not, you know, they're not using cadmium missiles. They're just still using traditional machine guns and explosives. Like, machine guns! We're still using machine guns on Godzilla at this point. And, like, again, the characters dully, patiently, just waiting there, looking at, you know, Godzilla, looking at the tanks, looking at the things. And then, of course, you know, Godzilla's gonna, may get his ass kicked for a little bit, but eventually he's gonna slaughter all of those people. Like, you're sending all those people off to their deaths, and not to mention the uh, hundreds of millions of dollars and equipment you're destroying, and it's been proved. It's all useless. Well, like, what you are you doing? You just made two Super X-2s. Right. With cadmium missiles. Yeah. In fact, no, instead just of Super X-2, missiles. just make back in 64. Two, two Super X-1s. <laughs> right. There. That, that, that's, that could have solved everything. Or one Super X-1, and just don't detonate two nuclear bombs to bring Godzilla back to life after you've already killed him. In fact, bring him back to the volcano using the special bird shit that they came up with in 1984, shoot him with the cadmium missiles, let him die, and then fall into the volcano. There's only one character in this entire film who's actually keeping it real, and that's Colonel uh, Gondo. And he does one of the most gangster things I've ever seen in a Godzilla movie, which is he's in Osaka when Godzilla uh, attacks Osaka in this film. And they shoot uh, Godzilla with this anti-Godzilla bacteria thing, which is supposed to eat away his cells and, and basically kill him from the outside or the inside out. And this guy's up on, like, you know, the 30th story. He's, like, on the story that's, like, mm -hmm. eye level with yeah. Godzilla. And he sees Godzilla, and he just turns his back on him. And he's just, like, walking away like Godzilla's nothing. Waits for Godzilla to roar, then pivots, goes down to one knee, and shoots a missile into Godzilla's mouth. And it's like, you should stick to smoking. Yeah. He's, and, uh, I don't know. I thought that was really, really cool. And then Godzilla immediately kills that guy, which yeah. is too bad. Because I would like to see a whole series about that character. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, no, he's no. dead. But that yeah. th that that scene and that scene alone, incredible. Yeah. Um, <sighs> but yeah, we briefly mentioned the okay. So the original ending of this film was Biollante after Godzilla falls over. Uh, was supposed to eat Godzilla, and and how they were planning to do that. They, there was never a plan to have this be uh, executed physically on the set. It was always they were going to animate it after the fact and and you can see this if you if you own the Miramax released uh Godzilla versus Biollante DVD on the 48 minute uh making of uh which I have watched um you you can see this cutout scene where they actually have Biollante turn into an anime version of Biollante and scoop up and, and and chomp down on Godzilla and then they both turn into flowers uh, right flowers yeah. And then it burst into stardust or whatever. And like that would have alone would have been so crazy. It almost would have actually made it worth it. Yeah. Oh, like at, at a Hedora level. Yeah, at a Hedora oh, level. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, all of that was cut out. They were just, they looked at it and they're like, we can't do this. Can't this do is this. too, in, this is too insane even for this series. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I guess if there's one important thing about this film, it does introduce uh, the uh, Miki. Yeah, Miki, uh, Miki Segusa. Yeah, Segusa, uh, who is a recurring character between this and Destroya. 
Um, she is psychic. She is introduced uh, very nonchalantly for a character that is perceived to have a very important role in this film. Right. She, the, the scientist's uh, daughter, uh, is killed in a terrorist attack in some you know unknown Middle East country because you know they're Sar- all the they're Sar- all Sardinia. The yeah, Sardinia. Uh, which I guess is a com- composition of Morocco and Saudi Arabia because they're just so close together. Right. Um, so they, uh, she's killed, and all of a sudden the doctor decides that five years later he wants uh, to bring a psychic girl in to uh, read the thoughts of the rose petals he has because he believes that his daughter is reincarnated into the rose petals or into the rose bushes ridiculous like if this was a philip k dick novel it would be genius but this is a godzilla movie and it does not work if this was a ray bradbury uh novel go for it but it's not um it does not purport to be but you know it is it's, it's not nonetheless Miki is uh, is as you said an interconnected character throughout the rest of the series. So uh, for the rest of the high size series, we're going to be doubling up. That's right, we're going to do two films per pod war hour, and it works out so that we actually are uh, have one odd man out, and that's this episode here. So uh, this first one is only going to be half an hour long. Sorry, but uh, we're going to get back to it next week when we're going to cover King Ghidorah and uh, Godzilla vs. Mothra. Um, and, and really, the whole thing, the whole High Size series can be told as the story of, of this one character. So the important thing about Violante, even though you know it was, it was a beautiful experiment kind of gone awry, is that it does introduce this, this character, and now she kind of takes us through the rest of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Um, you know, it, it is as we said. It's like uh, there are a few good elements, but uh, it's just too much uh, to take. Uh, it really, it, if it had been slimmed down, it could have been a feasible film. Yeah, and uh, it is almost two hours long. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, like, I mean, like, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, I think, was close to two hours, but it didn't feel like it at all. Right. Like this, there are moments where you just well, feel the, it. There's just a critical lack of pacing, momentum, energy. And I don't care about any of those. I mean, I do care about all those a lot, but the the, the thing that kills it for me, there's no humor Yeah. in this one. And that just makes it torture. Yeah. And Kurosawa, you know, one of the world's greatest directors, said that even the most serious film needs to have a moment of comedy. Schindler's List has a brief, funny moment. You know, even, even that, a movie about one of the most horrible uh, atrocities of the 20th century, even that right. has a moment of humor. And there's, there's a couple of attempts at humor in this, but that's all they are is attempts. And yeah. they seem sort of token and thrown in and there's no yeah. wit or, or execution behind them. It's just sort of like the agents from Biomajor make a crack about uh, Miki at one point that says she should be in a beauty contest. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it like, it seems almost like uh, some xenophobic like joke. It'd be like, Oh my God, these, these creeps, they're looking at our women. Right. You know, 
Uh, it's and, just a disaster. Yeah. But again, I love Biolante. I just wish he was in a better movie. So uh, we will be continuing the High Size series. Uh, so yeah, this is. Yeah, let's get the uh, let's get the roundup, <laughs> and uh, let, let's talk to the good people at Monsanto. Yeah, and uh, let's kill this weed. <laughs>